we're going to be chatting to two young black transgendered uh, people. And um, part of, of what I'm doing this show is understanding what it feels to be like uh, to be somebody who operates differently than you. And so I'm going to be chatting now with Cher Peterson from Cape Town and Apiwe Yako. I'm going to start first with you, Sher. Uh, I was going to say good morning, but in fact, it's it's good evening. Hello. Hello. Good evening to you. Hi. And so, of course, the first thing we hear from you is your voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and thank you for uh, coming to uh, 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 agree uh, to to talk about what it means. And and you are somebody who's happy for people to know who you are. You're happy for people to know your name, which means yeah. to me that you're okay. You're living in your skin right now. Yeah. No, I mean, for me, it's always been a thing of I, you know, I just have to be comfortable because I think it's, it's an issue that people don't often talk about. And mm. I think that for me to be comfortable with myself will give, you know, I think younger people or people who do feel uncomfortable kind of a sense of, you know, if she can do it, then so can I and we can be comfortable mm. and it's okay. Um, and of course, you know, there's been so much in terms of entertainment with with shows like Orange is the New Black. And so mm -hmm. many people know also all the high profile people. What I'm wanting for you to tell us is what it's like to be young and black and transgendered in South Africa. Um, well, for me, I think I've had a considerably easy experience. I do know that people have, you know, harder experiences than I do mm. but especially because I study at Stellenbosch and you know that kind of thing where I don't think the environment is as welcoming as most people would you know expect it to be or as most people would think it is so for me being a young black individual uh, studying at Stellenbosch I think the, the kind of if we could call it the climate for me to be open and honest wasn't as right but I thought I had to step up you know, to the plate and to, to kind of open the floor to discussion mm. about it. So mm. I've had a tough experience mainly just dealing with the fact that there's still a lot of kind of stigma and there's a lot of ignorance surrounding the issue. Mm. And and that for me is, is kind of why I also am just so open and honest about it. And I think that's that's what makes it it it, it, it helpful for people who who don't understand because so often yeah. we also glamify people who on a, on a TV in America. Mm -hmm. This is real. It's here. It's yeah. it's in the university. So, sure. At what age did you feel uncomfortable living with the agenda you'd been assigned to? I think for me personally, at at a very 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 young age, um, when you know, I kind of because I have a brother and a sister. So for me, you know, seeing I was obviously dressed as a little boy and, and that made me entirely uncomfortable seeing, you know, my cousins and I obviously got called terrible names by not only peers, but also just cousins. I kind of, you know, felt I didn't feel 100 percent as if I was as if it was just a you know sexual sexuality thing. And I remember from a very young age, I think I must have been. It must have been six or something, or even it might have been earlier, just when I started watching, you know, kind of Disney films, seeing all the Disney princesses. And, and that, to me, kind of sparked a whole a whole realization of, you know, I, I don't think I want, I don't think I was born 
to be male, you know. Mm-hmm. And I always used to, I think there was this whole thing of, you know, whenever you see a shooting star, like what what would you wish for? Mm-hmm. And always in the back of my mind, my, my wish would always just be, you know what, all I want in life is just to be a little girl. Mm. Um, Eusebius and Dr. E were talking in the week about mm-hmm. the issue of people who had identified um, conflict with gender assignment. Yeah. And the whole idea of the medical process and of mm-hmm. the possibility of holding your puberty. Did you yeah. have support in your desire to transition from your family? Um, well, well, for me, I don't know if you know this, but I've actually, I mean, I've socially transitioned and I've always been kind of very, what you would call, um, what is this? Oh, word, I can't get to the word. Kind of, I never really looked female. I never really looked male. And, I, you know, there was there was no kind of, my parents kind of had an issue with the fact that I didn't look either. So you were so androgynous kind of, looking? Very androgynous okay. looking. There we go, that's the word. Yeah. Very androgynous looking. And I always used to get questioned as to, you know, what are you and this mm. kind of thing. I was never on hormone blockers. I was never on anything. And... Um, my parents have only recently become very supportive in in the in the in the sense that I never truly because I went away to university and that's when I started started exploring you know my gender identity and getting there um, really opened it up for me to the point where I started socially transitioning into I you know I chose my pronouns and I told people what I would love to be called mm. and that is what kickstarted my journey for me so it was kind of something that I blocked off. For most of my, I would say, teen years and, you know, just growing up, I blocked it off because my parents at that point were obviously not very, you know, they didn't really understand it. They didn't know what was going Mm, on mm, and we mm. didn't seek help. I mean, you know, we're a black family. These things, they're not not freely available. You know, parents don't really know who to go and see, who to, especially in when I was growing up. I mean, I don't think my parents realized what a psychologist was up until like when I went to high school. Mm, mm. And and the idea of being gender non-specific. I mean, yeah. I mean, these labels are tricky. But mm-hmm. um, is is that something you'd also considered? Um, at a, at a stage, I just identified as being a very very effeminate fem- man. Okay. I think I think for me that was the easiest thing because I kind of had you know this comes now into the whole stigma thing where I kind of had the stigma. You know, I would see trans people. And it's a very superficial thing, but I mean, I would see trans people and say, I don't really like what they look like, you know, and everyone was using mm-hmm. these derogatory terms such as tranny. And, and mm-hmm. I was like, I really, I really don't identify as being a tranny. And if, if that's what I'm to look like after I've transitioned, I, I really don't want it. So the labeling was problematic for you as well. Yeah. 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 I, I think that, yeah. I think. Yeah, the labeling and just the idea of it was very, it was very off-putting. But for you, in a way, as you say, because you were so androgynous looking, it mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't such a major issue. Some people really struggle with uh, yeah. transitioning and the medical process yeah. once they've already uh, gone into full-flown puberty. So for you, that was yeah. not an issue. Um, for me, it was not that big of an issue, but I wouldn't say that it wasn't an issue because right? I think going into any kind of new social situation where it was questioned always made me very uneasy and very uncomfortable, which is why I kind of shied away from, you know, going out and being very social. So what happened in between? I mean, now we hear you as a strong, confident 
young woman. Uh, yeah. What, ha- what, what happened in that interim period? Um, I think, like, I'd love to say this because my father is one of the, he, he's one of the greatest supporters of me and of the way I live my life and, and of my decisions that I've made in my life. And I think it was about at the age of 16 where he, he kind of sat me down and he was like, I don't, I don't like that you're secluding yourself from, from experiences that you should be having at this age because, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of stunt your development. It's going to stunt your interactions with people. It's going to stunt how you you, you, you to go about looking for work, that kind of thing. Mm. And he sat me down and he he, talked, he just, you know, we had a fat chat about how I should be taking this, um, you know, all, all the criticism that I receive and as well as the ignorance and really be, be using it to my detriment or to my, you know, to my best use in, in terms of making people aware of, 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 of the life it is that I'm living and of, you know, show them you can be confident, show them mm. you mm. you can take this as your identity, make it your own and not really care what other people say. Your, so, your father sounds like a very wise man. Yeah, he's definitely, I mean, he passed recently, but he was definitely one of the people who were very, very supportive and he backed me in terms of, you know, do you to the utmost best. Now, at, at at what point did you then go and do your homework and find out about all the other kinds? As you say, there's a social transition, there's a mm-hmm. hormonal transition, and then there's a, a a genital operational transition. Yeah. Um. Well, for me, it was really going to university and and you know having access to a lot of information as well as a lot of kind of support groups for LGBT youth. So going to university and I, I met a transgendered male and, you know, him and I were chatting. And before then, I'd kind of been YouTubing and watching, you know, um, YouTube videos of people who had been starting hormones, you know, kind of mm. identifying as transgendered. Mm. And initially, as I said before, you know, when I did hear people saying, oh, no, you're a tranny, this kind of thing, it made me very uncomfortable. And as well as initially starting to watch YouTube videos, I was like, wow, like, no, I don't think this is this. I don't think this is it. Mm. But I kept kind of in the back of my mind it was always like go and watch more videos go and watch more videos and the more I started watching the more you know it kind of came to me as like as an as if I was telling myself the reason I keep going back to watch these videos is because that's how I identify and it it kind of it hooked me in terms of you know go and watch it because you'll find someone who really resonates with you because I mean with all trans people they have a different experience it's never the same so I think I was looking for someone whose experience would be similar to mine. Mm, mm. Which is often uh, such an important way uh, because yeah. it, it makes your journey somehow less lonely, I suppose. Yeah, I think I think for I think for a lot of people that that's the case. I mean, I have a I have a trans friend living in Canada who she she moved from here to Canada, but it was only you know we kind of went on our different paths, and 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 later on in life she kind of told me, you know what. Because um, she was dating a trans man at the time, and she she told me, you know what, I I, I identify as trans, and and it's only recently that I'd met someone who's had a similar experience to me that 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 was actually who I am, and I was like, it resonates to me on such a level because it wasn't until I had found someone on YouTube who resonated with me with an experience, you know, as as their journey in life mm. until that happened, and I think at that point when I realized that there are people, you know, who go on the same journey as me, that I felt less alone and I felt more comfortable with the idea. And I also felt more comfortable speaking about it to other people. Mm-hmm. And at, 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 at what point um, do you decide 
Um, I, I know that in, in other countries that there's re- registration in terms of mm-hmm. uh, seeing a psychiatrist, for example, yeah. before you have surgery. Um, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that none of that happens for uh, using hormones. Um, yeah, no. Like, I know that in South Africa we have to, you know, go through a, quite a rigorous program in terms of even starting hormones if you can't afford it to do it privately. So okay. for me, it was kind of a slow progression as to, you know, let me find out about how this would actually happen. Mm. And there's not a lot of information out there for, for people who, who do identify as trans as to which route to take, as to mm. do you go see a psychologist first, do you go see a psychiatrist, also mm. who do you go and see, because there's a lot of stigma amongst many doctors often that, you know, they don't want to treat transgender patients. Absolutely. And and that's the hardest part. You're going to a, a medical professional and mm-hmm. you're asking for assistance in what's a tricky process in the best of times. And yeah. to deal with that kind of discrimination has got to be quite painful and can set you back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the first doctor I went to see in, in, in Stellenbosch, kind of, he was recommended to me by my friend who moved to Canada and... Um, you know, she did tell me that he was strongly against anything of any sort beforehand. But I thought, you know, let me go and meet him. Let me mm. check out what mm. he has to say. He might know a professional, a medical professional who's willing to help me and who's willing maybe to even just recommend someone that I can go and see. Mm. But it wasn't until I actually discovered through um, the society in Stellenbosch that uh, there was there was free assistance available at um, a, a project called Triangle Project in Cape Town. Yes. It wasn't until then that my journey actually really began. Okay. And then when when you hear about hormones, uh, if you're mm-hmm. transitioning to um, towards becoming a woman, what happens mm-hmm. when you take the hormones? So, I mean, the first thing that would happen is it's a very, very long process. I'm currently still on the waiting list, but um, I'm, I'm set to see someone at Skirtuski this year. So what actually happens when you start taking the hormone is uh, they first put you, there's two sets of hormones that they put you on. So depending on from what you're transitioning to, your biological sex that you're transitioning from to, you know, obviously your, your identified gender, and there's two things that you have to start taking. So there's kind of hormone blockers, which would already just try to lower the levels mm. of, the, of the natural mm. hormones that your body is producing. And then they would slowly um, ease you into taking hormones of the gender that you identify as. But in terms of a, a, a male, um, okay. so I'm thinking the obvious things would be um, your your gentle hair, your breasts, um, mm-hmm. um is the voice yeah. impacted by taking hormones? So I'm just going to jump back to changes okay, in the sure, body and then I'll sure. come back to the voice. Okay. So usually what happens because w- women naturally have a, you know, a, a fat layer of a fat layer, a fat layer under skin. So that would start to develop. I think hair growth tends to slow. Um, breast development happens. So a lot of, as, as would happen at puberty, um, fat repositioning would occur. So, to give, I mean, the body would change to look way more womanly, where you know your fat would reposition to your hips and to your to your to your back, and kind of the formation of 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 of, of a faux hip, as you would call it, maybe. Um, but the voice, on the other hand, is not something that hormones change because once your you know once testosterone has hit the body, your voice breaks and there's no way to reverse that. 
So I think with with the voice that I've heard from a lot of people is that it actually takes training. Yes. You need to train your yes. voice to, yes. to, to be higher. Well, you talk in a, you know, I can talk in a more va- bass voice. Um, yeah. And um, so it is about uh, positioning your voice, but and, and as you say, it's training. But I wondered yeah. if the hormones assisted that in some way I, I you know I'm 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 just curious and, and, and I'm assuring I'm assuming that many listeners are also curious about that um, about so, who about my voice no about about what happens with the, with the hormones and what happens oh. if people take um, hormones and then stop taking them well usually what would happen is um, there's kind of a threshold kind of time at which the changes will stop and they'll kind of just be muted at that point. They won't go back. Um, those are now the physical bodily changes. But as far as I know, the voice is the one thing that you're not able to change with hormones. Mm. I, it, I know that it does somewhat soften the voice, but it, you can't change it because okay. I think that physically your vocal cords have already kind of reset into something mm. that would produce mm. a, a male timbre of the voice. So for me personally, I mean... I've always sounded like this. This is what I've sounded like. I've not started hormones yet, so we we might see my my voice might change. Mm, mm. But you haven't had to change your speech pattern because, as you say, you had an innate androgyny. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking yeah. of a movie like Trans America, where Felicity yeah. Huffman played somebody who didn't have access to their hormones, and and mm-hmm. I'm wondering if in your interaction with other transgendered people that uh, that they experience that, and of course that's not something you really want to experience. Once you've started the hormone, in a way you've yeah. started a journey. It's, it, yeah. it must be very confusing if you then stop taking the hormones. Yeah, no, definitely, I think so, yeah. And then the the last stage would be uh, do you do you put it in stages the transition of actually having reconstructive surgery in the genital mm-hmm. area, and and for um, men sometimes the Adam's apple, because yeah. that also is something that the hormones don't change. Yeah, yeah, no, like um, it really actually. But firstly, it really actually depends on whether or not you you consider having, um, you know. Surgery, as if you consider having what they call SRS, so sexual reassignment surgery, because for a lot of trans women, um, they're not gender dysphoric and, and they don't feel that the parts, you know, they, they kind of what they would call it is, uh, I think it's called a, uh, the penis, or you know, they kind of give it a name that's kind of a bit more feminine than, than a penis. But not all trans people actually want their penises removed. Yes, I, yes, for one, am yes. very gender dysphoric, and, and, and you know, going to the bathroom makes me very uncomfortable. I cannot, you know, I cannot, it's been a thing since I was a child. Okay. So for me, that's definitely kind of the final step. But okay. there is kind of a process legally, um, you know, you have to have had. Or you have to have from a doctor, you need to have an okay from your, your physician, you need to have an okay from your, um, I think it's an endocrinologist to mm. say, you know, your blood work is fine, you can send that to your surgeon, mm. and then you book, you know, a thing. But a lot of people, I don't think that we have strict rules in terms of it, you have to do it in a certain step of process, so you have to go and, you know, get hormones and then get surgery. I'm mm. pretty sure that you could start hormones and then go and have surgery. But it does affect in terms of um, sexual intercourse because, you know, your 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 female hormones would be coursing through your body and then after that getting surgery would kind of help stimulate um, real real proper the nerve endings in the in the vagina that is now newly formed, the neo vagina as they call it. 
would then help with that. So I think there is a certain, you know, step that people would recommend you go on, mm. but I don't think it's as strictly enforced here. Is it um, as expensive? I mean, most of what we hear is the kind of transgender mm-hmm. transitioning in, um, in in America. Is it as yeah. expensive as we hear in, in, in these various forums about transgender surgeries? Um, in South Africa, yes, it's very, very expensive. They, they here we there are only about three physicians who actually perform the surgery, and there's about a waiting list of fifteen to twenty years. Wow! But okay. a lot of a lot of and it's very expensive in South Africa. Okay. So a lot okay. of people tend to you know undergo hormone replacement here in South Africa, and then get a recommendation from their doctors here to go and have it overseas in Thailand. Um, and I think I could give you a ballpark figure uh, if you do the, the conversion. It's about 200000 That's including your entire three-week trip because you need to stay in a recovery center. That's for your doctor. That's for your surgery. That's for everything included is about 200000 Well, it's not for the faint-hearted. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I'm. You know, we were going to chat with uh, a Piwa, but in a way, I'm glad we couldn't uh, get him on the line because we've had more time to talk with you. And and the thing that stood out for me is your confidence. And as you say, you haven't fully transitioned, but yeah. your your father's wisdom has sunk through. And uh, you speak, you speak with the kind of. Um, I, I I guess we often. Uh, think that that there's some sort of apology and I hear none of that in your voice and we're coming up to the news so I just want to thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you so much it was great chatting. And that is Sher Peterson who was chatting about where she is in uh, moving towards becoming a woman.